in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, as we continue our way through Epiphany, the season when we recall how Jesus progressively reveals to us who he is, we reach a critical turning point. It's summed up in his invitation, come and see, and the response that it gets. First from the people in our reading, but just as importantly from us. John has said that the very reason why he came baptizing was in order that Jesus might be revealed to Israel. And the revelation is that among them stands the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There are several ideas about how John's hearers might have understood this reference to the Lamb of God. We can't look into them all now, but two of them may help us. First, in the story of God's deliverance of the Israelites from years of slavery in Egypt, each household is told to take a lamb to smear its blood over their door so that the angel of death shall pass over them when he comes to kill the firstborn of the Egyptian families. They're also told to eat the lamb and then to repeat this every year in perpetual remembrance of God's Passover. Secondly, John's hearers will know that the prophet Isaiah speaks of a lamb led out to slaughter, the one who is to bear the sins of many and make intercession for sinners. So now that they hear from John that the Lamb of God is standing among them, it must have produced an amazing effect, one of excitement but also of awe. The effect is increased by the fact that John freely admits that he is himself taken by surprise. He didn't know Jesus previously, but now he's overwhelmed by the vision he receives of a dove descending on him and the voice he hears promising that this stranger will be the one to baptize people with God's spirit. And the effect doesn't wear off. It's still just as strong next day when he sees Jesus again and exclaims to his followers, look, here is the Lamb of God. No wonder two of them instantly leave John and turn to Jesus. Now we're allowed to eavesdrop on their first encounter with him. We might have asked, can I help you? But Jesus' question goes deeper. What are you looking for? We may find their answer, where are you staying, a bit feeble. But Jesus understands straight away that it implies, may we join you? He knows very well that people are searching for something even if they don't quite know what it is. And he knows that the only way for them to discover it is to follow him. In the other Gospels, Jesus uses words, follow me, to call his new disciples. The fourth Gospel is concerned with offering them insight and understanding, and it seems to work. For a few verses further on, from today's reading, we find Philip trying to reassure the sceptical Nathaniel and echoing Jesus' words, come and see. And when he does, Nathaniel is instantly convinced. Am I being fanciful 
If I say that I hear in the invitation, come and see an echo or recollection of the psalmist's plea, oh, taste and see how gracious the Lord is. It's when we come to see Jesus face to face, so to speak, that any doubts we may have can be put on one side to be explored some other time. After the life-changing experience of these new disciples, we move on to the calling of others who will become Jesus' followers throughout his life and even beyond his and their death. I said at the beginning that the unfolding epiphany of Jesus as God's Son today reaches a turning point. What I meant by that is that it marks the moment when, humanly speaking, Jesus is no longer going it alone. He knows that much of what the Father has sent him to do, only he can do. But he also knows that if the course of mankind is to be changed for good, the net must be cast far wider than any one person can do. And that if the message of hope is to take root and grow, provision must be made for others to carry it forward after his earthly life is done. So the critical point has come to win over others whom he can equip and who will share his mission of spreading God's love throughout the world. Part of Christ's epiphany is going to have to rely on his entrusting it to others. And this isn't just true for the immediate period after he leaves them on earth. It'll continue to be true for the rest of history, including in our own time. The call to Jesus' first disciples is a call to us too. That's a daunting thought. Can it really be that bringing God's message of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ to a needy world depends on us? However we, try, we may try to avoid the question, we can't escape it. I don't know who it was who came up with the simple but profound insight that everything we do or say makes Christ more or less believable to those around us. For most of us, the opportunities to create a seriously good impression for the faith we profess may appear limited, but occasionally a person's behavior may be spectacularly damaging or inspiringly positive. Personal integrity, or lack of it, holds the key. Some of you may have seen last week's TV documentaries about abuse committed by a former bishop. It was deeply distressing on many levels. The abuse itself was sickening, causing great harm to the victims and pain to those who loved them. And on top of that was the shocking story of those who should have known better, but disregarded the pleas of the sufferers and made great efforts to protect the reputation of the perpetrator himself and of the church. It's hardly surprising if some have come to regard the church itself as evil and can no longer believe that there is a God who loves and cares for us. How do we answer such understandable feelings and reinstate God and his church in the public mind as sources of safety and caring? 
The irony is that when the church puts its own reputation above its duty of care, it greatly increases the damage to that very reputation. Whilst expressions of repentance have been offered, it's hardly surprising if they largely fail to heal the hurt. What has this to do with epiphany, the revealing of Christ and the nature of God? It illustrates that even people clearly identified as Christians, far from revealing his glory, can make it invisible and incredible. This is what happens when the lives we lead are at odds with what we profess. What's needed is much more than damage limitation. It's a positive contribution on our part to the revealing of God's essential goodness. Thankfully, there are plenty of examples of that, as in the care we show for the least privileged, or indeed for the planet itself. That's how we may share in God's epiphany. But how can damaged creatures like us succeed in such a task? Not certainly in our own strength. Here today's wonderful collect can help. In Christ, you make all things new. Transform the poverty of our nature by the riches of your grace. If we can embrace that miracle, the impossible becomes possible. We pray God in the renewal of our lives to make known his heavenly glory. We are to work with God to make him known. The little prayer in, we use at morning and evening prayer in this epiphany season reads, may Christ who sends us to the nations give us the power of his spirit. It'll help if like those first disciples, we fix our gaze on the Lamb of God. We've already paid tribute to him in singing the Gloria. We shall soon be singing again, Jesus, Lamb of God, have mercy on us. And then to reinforce the point, we'll complete our worship this morning by singing, just as I am, of that free love, the breadth, length, depth, and height to prove, here for a season, then above, O Lamb of God, I come.